millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One thing you've told us about is that you love hearing stories from people who listen to My Millennial Money, who are doing cool things with their life, their work, their career, their investing. And boy, today I've got a treat for you. Today I'm joined by Sarah Kelsey from One Up Project. Sarah, her journey has been interesting. I've been following it from afar. I've been on Sarah's podcast before. I love following different Instagrams that have life hacks and money hacks and all the things. And we're talking about her life, her money, her career, some cool things that she's done, particularly working overseas remotely for a small moment. Now, before we get into the chat today, a shout out to GlobalX, who are our Thursday show partner here on the podcast. For more than a decade, their mission has been to empower investors with unexplored and intelligent solutions, and it's easy to invest in their ETFs. Just log on to your online trading account anywhere in Australia or chat with your advisor to see how GlobalX ETFs can fit into your investing strategy. Also, download their free Australian ETFs landscape report at globalxetfs.com.au forward slash MMM to stay informed with what's happening out there in investing land. So GlobalX, remember that name, GlobalX. Pin it to ETFs. Whenever you hear ETFs, think GlobalX. But Sarah, welcome to My Millennial Money. Thanks for jumping on the podcast today. You ready to have a big chat? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am stoked. And yes, I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Before we get into kind of what you're doing with One Up Project, uh, you are based in New Zealand. What were you doing with your life or career before you started? kind of started this tangent of solopreneur, working remotely, building an online community, all the things. Get us to where we are today. Oh, I love this question. And I was actually just reflecting on this recently as well. So uh, I guess the most relevant part of the story to start with is that in high school, I received a scholarship uh, from a corporate accounting firm to go to university. And that was amazing, big opportunity. Wow, parents are so proud of me. So I had no other choice than going to university, even if I didn't really want to do it. You know, I at that point was so studious in air quotes that it would only make sense for me to go to university. So that's what I ended up doing. And one of the kind of clauses within the scholarship was that I had to study either accounting, finance, information systems, basically like the boring parts of a business degree. I had to do one of those. And so I chose accounting because that felt like it was the most broad one. But numbers have never really been my thing. I'm definitely not much of an analytical thinker. So looking back, and I guess the people around me also thought this, it made no sense. But anyway, do this degree, get this accounting degree. And a part of the scholarship was an internship with this corporate accounting firm. And then you usually, if you were 
good enough, so to speak, or you did well, you would get a grad role off the back of that. And I did, which was, again, another incredible opportunity. So coming to the end of my uni degree, I knew I didn't really like accounting, but I had this amazing opportunity. Of course, I had to go for it once again, because it would be a waste and I'd be disappointing people if I didn't, of course. So then I decided to take the grad role. Didn't really look around at anything else. I just thought this is my path. So I'm not going to argue with it. I'm just going to go and do it. I started in this accounting role and it was the year that COVID hit and we had lockdowns and everything. And so I was in an office for maybe two to three months and then working full time from home. And that was a massive struggle for me because I was already new, didn't really know what I was doing. And then was also isolated socially and like professionally as well from help and that kind of thing. And I think that in combination with knowing that accounting wasn't really my path brought me to this fork in the road of my life where I had to make a decision. Am I going to continue forward with this and potentially spend like the next few years committing to this career and climbing the ladder, so to speak, as everyone says, or am I going to jump into something else? But I had no idea what I wanted to jump into. And I didn't know what I wanted and who I was. And that was the place I was at. But I also knew that I had to take a bit of a risk to um, to find that thing. And the bit I missed out was that 10 months prior to this, I started the One Up Project. So I started my podcast, The One Up Project, in January of 2020, just as I was starting that grad role. And I'd interviewed all these different people and really gained insight into like the perspectives of people who'd been there and done that before me or, you know, had the success that I might want one day. Something like a theme, there were two themes that always came up and what people would talk about. And the first one was to take risks and the second one was to be curious. And I thought to myself, you know, if all these people were kind of repeating these themes of what would have made them get to what they wanted quicker, then why am I not listening to them? And so I thought this, when I got to the fork in the road in my accounting job, I thought to myself, this is one of those times where I need to take a risk. And even though I don't know what's going to be next, I know it's going to lead me to that point. And so that's what I did. Nine months into this grad role, I decided to quit. And I was had the privilege of like a supportive family and people who I could fall back on. I didn't have kids. I didn't have dependents. So financially, it wasn't a massive, massive burden to make this decision. So decided to kind of be unemployed, do random freelance work and stuff for three months until I sort of worked out what the next step in my career would be. And yeah, that's just been it up until that point. Wow. And okay, so some practical things. So you're basically like, this career isn't for me. I Mm. saw a bit of a gap and particularly like, and before I get to my question, First and foremost, hello to all of my audience in New Zealand. I am planning to get over there and do some type of event in Auckland and maybe, Sarah, we can do something combined with Sim or do something fun. Uh, But hello, everyone. Secondly, you've started the accounting thing. It wasn't for you and you're like, I've seen a bit of a gap in the market that there is a need for these um, information things and career questions, life questions, money questions. So you started the One Up Project. My question is, practically speaking, for those few months when you went stuff this and you mentioned you're supporting family, did you have some savings that you were living off? Did your parents or your family go, here's $300 a week, we believe in you, go after it? Like, Just talk around the practicalities because it's all well and good to say that, oh, I did this and did that, but a lot of people needed to go, well, how? 
Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Let's get into the specifics. So um told my family I wanted to do this straight away. They thought, okay, that seems like you're giving up a bit of an opportunity, but you've got to do what makes you happy and they've always been supporters of that. So they didn't charge me board while I was not making any money. And so that was living at home for free during that time. And I didn't have any savings because it was a bit of a spontaneous decision where I thought, I just have to make this now or I'm never going to make it. So I used what was the annual leave I'd built from my nine months of working and (laughs) kind of that one previous paycheck before doing it. And I thought this will keep me going until I basically need money to live. And I ended up going back to a previous job of mine. I worked on reception at a gym and I asked if I could pick up a couple of shifts there again, to which they said yes. And so I think I worked there once a week, which kind of gave me some time to, gave me some money really. But I also wanted to make sure I committed the time to finding what I wanted to do as well. So yeah, practically speaking, that's how I did it and kept expenses low, of course, uh, and yeah, kind of, I think when you do things like that, it gets to a point for, and for me, that was the three month mark where I think, okay, now I actually need to have a stable paycheck and live independently and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, after that three months and get the stable paycheck, that was after the gym or that stable paycheck was doing the reception work just to kind of get money in the door. That was after the reception work. So I was also at the same time, very picky about the next, because I guess that was kind of like an interim interim job um, until I could find out what my next, in air quotes, career move was. And I was very picky about what I went into next. Like I had built up quite a good network from the podcast at that time. So I had job offers from people and that kind of thing, which was amazing. But I turned them down because I wanted to feel in my gut that it was right since I hadn't trusted my gut before then. Mm. Um, So yeah. So as it stands right now, like we're a couple of years into your podcast and your Instagram and everyone jump on, you can search the One Up Project on Instagram. Uh, you've got over uh, just maybe around 12,000 followers. So it's an up and coming account. Um, it's really good content. You put a lot of work into it. Thank you. Like, are you generating revenue from your platform at the moment or are you still building? How do you monetize your life at the moment? Yeah, such a good question. So right now, how I earn money, I suppose, is a few different ways. The first one and the main one being that I freelance, I do freelance marketing work. So I have a couple of clients and that is, I wouldn't even say that's stable income because depending on how often I work is what I get paid. And so it's not structured, but that is something that as long as I keep those contracts going, that will continue to come in. So that's one way. And then the other way is how I monetize the podcast, which is mainly through individual sponsorships. So a company might, you know, want to sponsor the podcast for an episode or for an Instagram post or whatever. And then I work out what that package might look like. And that income is a lot more spontaneous because I don't usually go out looking for it. It's usually something that will come in and then I'll decide if I want to go ahead with it. Mm. Um, And I also find that the more pressure I put on monetizing it or like pushing myself to monetize it, the more stressed I get about it. And so I think I'm still trying to work out what a consistent monetization structure looks like for the podcast in a lot of ways. But yeah, at the moment, that's how it's monetized. And I just want to pause there because one of the reasons that I wanted to get you on the show was particularly for those, we've got a lot of listeners who are leaving school coming out of university. And we've talked about this in the career book that we've recently released. 
what you said there, it's like, I'm listening to my gut and I hadn't done that before. And my encouragement to anyone listening is, you know, read between the lines of what Sarah's saying. And sure, Sarah's had an awesome opportunity to live rent-free with her parents and all that for a while. But take the broad concepts of what I'm doing or what I'm on track to do isn't sitting with me. I can actually build and design a life around my own values. And you're just a live example for anyone who is starting in this day and age, their career, their life, that you can build a life on your own terms. And if you are a little bit older, have you always wanted to do something on the side? Like Sarah went and did some marketing work, some um, the reception work, just to get money in the door. Can you work on something on the side? So that's, I just wanted to jump out of our conversation to talk to everyone directly just to hear this stuff as an encouragement about designing a life that suits you. And so many times, like you go against your gut feeling and you know you shouldn't be doing this and guess what? It doesn't work out. So congratulations on, you know, starting your life and your career and all that, you know, direction in line with your values. You've taken risks. When you started this, were you like, I'm going to try this for a good couple of years and then if it doesn't work, I'm going to cut my losses and pivot. Did you have any of those thoughts? Because really what we're talking about is how Sarah has designed and is designing her life. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. And I think that's such a good question because I have never given myself that kind of time frame where it's like, okay, you know, give it, people will say, start your own business, tell yourself, go full throttle for a year. And if it doesn't work out, go back to a job. I just sort of thought... I'll give it a go for as long as it feels like the right choice kind of thing. And so for me, and I've done this a couple of times now, like left accounting, focused on the podcast full time, went back to another job for a year and a half, left to go traveling, spent that time working on the podcast and had nothing else going on. And then now I'm sort of a half and half situation and different things have suited me at different times as well. Like I've always wanted to build a life where I had flexibilities and I had freedom and I had all these certain things, but sometimes having a full time job actually worked into a lot of those values and sometimes it really didn't and that's when I left so it would just depended at the time like what was still contributing to that life I wanted to live and weighing up I guess the pros and the cons of that situation and how it contributed to my life at that specific time. Mm-hmm. How old are you now? I'm 24 now. I was about, yeah. I got so confused when you asked me that. I was like 23 or 25? No, I'm in the middle. I'm 24. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's just like I don't know. I just love talking to people in their 20s about encouraging them to really set up their life. Is it easy? Hell no. Are there challenges? Heck yes. But it's just such a great opportunity to be encouraged by these conversations. And, you know, people have said in the Facebook group, oh, I love Glenn when you like life coach people. I'm like, I just want to use this platform as a en masse encouragement. And, you know, I certainly don't need to life coach you. You're well and truly like killing it. So good on you. But if we turn it around to a little bit about money, like what was your perspective about money growing up and Mm. has it changed to now where you're at? Yeah. I, growing up, I grew up with two parents who both were and still are 
spenders. <laughs> they love spending money. Um, they're Tell both them I said shopping. hi. They're yeah. my people. <laughs> Will do. Yep. No, they're, they're, they're big spenders. They definitely aren't listening to too many financial literacy podcasts, that's for sure. Um, and they've always been like that. I spoke on a panel yesterday and I was saying to people that my dad's favorite saying when we were going on holiday is we don't go on holiday to save money. And he's always been the kind of person that's like, if we're going to spend money on a holiday, like a family trip, we're going to enjoy it. We're not going to sit here and feel guilty and try and go the cheap route. Like, And sure, that would probably cause him a lot more stress down the line trying to work to either pay that back or save up for the next one. But that's just how they always ran things. And so that was kind of my inspiration as a kid. Like that's how you deal with money. And then as I got my own money, um, I then realized, well, I don't know if spending it all is a good idea because I want it. I have this goal and I have that goal. And how am I going to do that if I'm sort of spending? And I, I guess I started to see the holes a little bit in my parents' way of managing their money, which mm. was interesting. So now I'm like a half and a half spender saver. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And your audience that you talk to on your podcast and Instagram, do you um, get a bit of a pulse check of the type of people that listen to you? And also as a secondary question, what are some of the key themes that you're addressing that mm. keep popping up in this climate for your audience? Mm. Yeah, I think my biggest metric of success, I suppose, with the podcast, or my favorite thing about having a podcast and having a little platform is the conversations that you have with people. Like, I love when the DMs are popping off. Let's have the biggest chats in the world about different things. And amazingly, and Luckily, so many people who listen to the podcast feel comfortable to be vulnerable in those conversations and we get into so many things and it's always a mix of finance and personal development. And I think it's an interesting one because when I think about who my audience is, coming down to demographics, it really does feel like at least the people I talk to is such a wide variety between age and gender and life stage and if they have kids or don't and all these sorts of things. But something that connects them all is their desire to want more and I think their curiosity to continue to learn from someone else's perspective. And I think like we all share this, which I think is a really beautiful thing, like this ability to lower your ego a little bit to think, okay, maybe I don't know everything and maybe let's learn from someone else. And that that includes me as well in the sense that I want to learn from the people who listen to me, the people I interview and all of that. But in terms of things that tend to come up a lot, and especially in this climate, I think a lot of people become a little bit, not necessarily scared, but just apprehensive of hearing about a looming recession constantly and what that's going to mean for them and what what that even is. And I don't think people have heard the word inflation so much in their whole life and, you know, words like that, that you hear about, but you might not understand. I always used to think, you know, when you'd see the news and they talk about the economy and I always thought, oh, okay, cool. The adults will understand that. And then you kind of get older and you think there's actually a whole group of adults. And I want to say like a majority of adults who still don't know what they're talking about in the media when they're talking about all these different impacts and things like that. And so it tends to be a lot of those kind of conversations just looped in with like, how can we also continue to be the best version of ourselves in that time as well from a personal development perspective. Mm. What do you reckon the best money management tip is that you've learned from your experience and all the people that you've talked with? I think 
and this is like a practical and not very exciting answer, but I genuinely think that expense tracking will change your life, mostly because I'm a You're huge You're such believer. an accountant, accounting <laughs> for things. Oh my God. And I, sometimes I say things and I think maybe I was born to be an accountant, <laughs> but um, yeah, with expense tracking, I think I'm massive on habits and I'm massive on the importance of patterns in your behavior. And when you expense track, you see those clearly. And it's the scariest thing. It's the worst thing in the world, but it doesn't lie to you. And this is why I get people that aren't me on the podcast because I am so different with expense tracking. Mm. I always, and I, I think by my own nature, I do a spending plan. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, if I plan to allocate money for food, fuel going out, saving for the future, all that stuff, if there's a $200 a fortnight allocation for anything I want, who gives a crap what I spend it on, whether it's $20 at a cafe or $40 within mm. that category. And that's a personality thing, right? You've got to do stuff that is in line with your values and your personality. So for me, for sure. my personality is that was yesterday, who cares? As long as I plan that I'm always investing, I'm always saving, I'm not yep. going into consumer debt. I don't give a crap if one week I spend a hundred dollars at a cafe and the next week I don't spend anything. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think like I, the worst misconception about budgets, I think, is that it's always there to restrict you and mm. it's always about lowering things and not giving you any more space, but like making that space smaller. And I, I think that we need to flip our thinking to be like, well, that $200 that you allocate yourself is the freedom. Like that's you giving yourself the guilt-free time to spend and not care what you've spent it on. But you mm. can, you know that you've at least like controlled that part of your spending to be this much. But as you say, who cares exactly what's within that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Someone stumbled over this podcast today. They've never heard of you or me. They're thinking, I'm new to all this money stuff. We've just talked about tracking expenses. What other kind of one percenter type tips would you encourage someone with if they're just starting out on this journey of financial wokeness? Mm. Something that maybe is a less practical tip, but I think also very important. And this is something you've said on my podcast and that I refer back to a lot because it's like, it's really struck me because I hadn't heard anyone with a background on financial advice talk about this. And the question I asked you was, what's the first thing you should be investing in? And Mm. I thought to myself, okay, he's going to say funds because practically I'm sure that would be the answer, right? And you said, well, actually the first thing you should be investing in is yourself. And why I think that's so important is because if you don't know what you want out of life and who you are and like what actually matters to you and what you want to prioritize, then there's no way you can create a financial plan or a system that's going to motivate you and you believe in it because it's going to get you to a place you want to go. And what I've seen as a theme throughout so many people who are successful in their finances is that they know what they want and they have that clear idea. And if someone else is saying you should be buying a house, but they're clear on the fact that they want to do an OE, then it doesn't matter. Like they've got their motivation and they will achieve it. And I think that's honestly one of the most important lessons I've learned from talking to people. What's an OE? 
overseas, overseas experience. experience. I thought so. I thought so. I'm <laughs> not that old yet. I'm not that old yet, guys. I thought it was. I was just checking back off everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's have a quick break and we're going to come back and I want to talk to you about your OE uh, because our audience does want to travel now. I think it's in our top five lists of priorities collectively. So we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Radio, the OE. You call it an OE. I call it a eat, pray, love, you know, <laughs> whatever. You did an OE. And it's just, it's so important because before the break, you really touched on that thing like, we can be influenced so much by quote unquote well-meaning people in our life, but the well-meaning advice is actually catastrophic because they might be like, yeah, buy that house, save up, buy a house, save up, buy a house. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you save up and you do that. And, oh, I don't have any money to eat, pray, love now. I really want to do that. So it does probably go back to knowing yourself, having confidence in who you are as a person. Exactly. And like, no one who wants to keep you safe is going to tell you to take a risk. You know, your family, your friends, they're going to want you to have that secure and that stable life because it's somewhat guaranteed. What is guaranteed might not even be what you want, but it's guaranteed. And having that element of control is so important to people. Yeah. Like it just got me on a thought spiral you know, someone who wants to keep you safe will not encourage you to take a risk and sort your career out. We talked a lot in that book around risk, right? And mm. I use the analogy of Olympic diving where you don't rock up at the Olympics and not have any experience and just go straight up to the 10 meter board and go for it. Like mm. there is a process, there's personal health, there's fitness, there's all that. It's starting on the bottom diving board and getting some basic stuff happening. And then as we go up, the risk part, if you're well prepared and well planned, the risk part is just the execution. Now, for you taking a risk, someone looking at that risk, to them, that's a huge risk. 
but they're not aware of all the work that you've put in to minimize that risk. You know, absolutely catastrophic risks should be avoided. We don't play Russian roulette because yes, there is a 16% chance of not dying. Pretty good. But if you did struck out on that 16%, catastrophic, so it needs to be avoided. So mm. I just think it's so important what you said, like a lot of well-meaning advice would be not to do something because that person maybe doesn't have the value alignment, doesn't have the gut feeling that I need to do this. That person doesn't have your risk profile. You could be talking to someone who values certainty and security in their career, aka I love working for the government, I love my nine to five. Mm -hmm. The fact of quitting that and doing everything on my own, that's in their mind a catastrophic risk. But for you, it's like, oh no, it's fine. So yeah, that's so awesome what you said there. Sorry, it just got me on a bit of a risk thought spiral. No, I love that. And I think it comes back to exactly what I mentioned just previous to that, which was the importance of investing in yourself and knowing yourself. Because when you do, you don't need other people to justify your actions and you don't worry if other people think you're making the wrong decision because you know yourself well enough. Mm. And I think we've all had those situations where we decided to go against what our gut thought and go with the advice of someone else and then we regret it. And the regret Mm. when someone else has told you to do something is always a thousand times worse than like when you've chosen to do it because you're like, well, if I had to just go on with what I thought in the first place, then it would have worked out fine. And I think like if you make a decision based on your own calculations of what you think is important to you, then you can't blame yourself for, you know, just doing what seemed authentic at that time? Here's a thought, like with risk taking, and because you've taken a lot of risks, I fundamentally believe in my own life, I lay in the bed that I make for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, If I take a risk and it doesn't pan out, I need to own that and I need Mm -hmm. to do a quick autopsy and then make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, take that for what it's worth. But anyway, Bali, last year you were like, stuff this, I'm going to Bali. I'm, I'm yeah, eat, pray, loving. Yeah. Mm. So talk to us about that and mm-hmm. what that experience was like and did you find yourself mm. more? <laughs> I don't know, like what were you doing there and how did it, practicalities yeah. of it all, talk to us about that. Honestly, great that what was I doing there? Excellent question. Um, so, you know, I was in a job before that, a full-time role, role that I did love. Um, but then the culture of the company started to slip. They were going through some financial troubles. They didn't make me redundant, but they re- reduced my hours from 40 to 10 and basically said, you know, this is kind of your option if you want to continue working here. That's sort of going to be the the way it would go. And I decided this sounds like an opportunity to quit my job and take a risk and do something else. And I was already intending on going overseas, but I didn't really know like what the plan was going to be. So this was when it all kicked into gear three months prior to me actually leaving. I thought, right, let's get this sorted. Let's get a visa. Let's just go. And I'm the kind of person who I don't often think through a lot of like the decisions I make, I just think, is does this feel right? Okay, well then it must be. Um, and so when people say take calculated risks, I'm always like, yes, definitely. But then in my head, I'm thinking, do I even do that? But I think to me, a calculated risk is just making sure that I feel that it's right in my gut. And I know that's kind of an ambiguous thing to say because it's like, what does that mean? But over time, I've learned to know in myself, I think based off leaving my corporate accounting job and then 
all the things following that. I kind of learned what that meant to me and what I knew I just had to go and do. So yeah, went and sorted all this admin stuff out, decided to go. And I think looking back, it was a problem that I didn't have an intention for this trip. I think it would have been good if I did have an intention for it because I kind of went and was like, oh, whatever happens, happens. You know, maybe I'll work over there. Maybe I'll just travel. But that lack of direction going over, I think put me into a bit of a whirlwind emotionally where I thought, like, what is my purpose here? Like, I feel like I'm just moving aimlessly through. I'm experiencing so many things. I'm meeting some incredible people. But because I am quite a, like, what is the bigger purpose of this kind of person? It made me think, well, beyond all these experiences, what does this actually mean? And I couldn't, Mm -hmm. that was like a big part of the journey was learning to just accept the moment for what it was and not think about what's the bigger like why here, just experience every individual conversation or every individual uh, experience for what it is. And so, yeah, looking back would have liked to have a bit more of an intention, but also I think it really forced me to learn how to just accept what was. And yeah, I've spent a few months over there, just under five. And I also spontaneously decided to go to Thailand, Singapore too in that time. And I'd never solo traveled before. I'd also never been to Southeast Asia before, but I thought it would be a good place to start because Bali seemed already quite westernized. And then I could kind of jump off from that, which it is. And it's an incredible kind of place to solo travel as well. But yeah, I mean, just so much within that time, you really, I felt like it was just, I found a new version of myself that I didn't know existed. Do you think you would have found that person if you weren't solo? No, mm. I don't, I don't think so. Only because I think you learn, you have to do a lot for yourself and you can't rely physically or emotionally on someone else to pick up the other side of it. Um, if one day you're feeling off or whatever, you just have to do it. And I was explaining to this, this to someone the other day where I feel my confidence has improved so much, just incrementally in a way that I couldn't you know, it's not like I'd notice it straight away, but just in little things like meetings or having to have difficult conversations, my confidence has shot up so much more. And I think it's because I have this new level of trust with myself that I can achieve things and I can do this. And if I'm put in a hard position, I will get through it because I was put in those positions while I was solo traveling. Mm. Do you have any tips for those who want to embark on a solo OE or a solo EPL? Yeah, solo EPL. Yeah, definitely. I think don't put too much pressure on what the experience should be. I mean, they always say, you know, don't go, don't do things with expectations so that you'll surprise yourself. And I think that that actually would have been quite key for me to keep in mind if I went over there. Um, People will say, you'll have the most incredible time and you'll meet friends for life and you'll, you know, all these crazy things will happen to you. But sometimes that stuff doesn't happen and that's okay too. Like the simplicities of the little situations and finding joy and all the little people, the little things you do in the little moments with people is so important as well. So yeah, I would, I would say my main thing would be don't put too much pressure on yourself for it to be anything specific. Uh, Just go in with an open mind and yeah, yeah, don't put the pressure on yourself. I think that was my biggest problem. And what uh, practical tips do you have for those traveling solo? Did you arrange any accommodation um, in Bali before you landed or were you just off the plane and, all right, take me to Samanyak and let's see what happens? <laughs> yeah, get me a bintang and let's go. Um, yeah. I, yep. 
I I did book one week of accommodation and that was it. So practical tips, I think, for me would be decide what you're doing in Bali because there's kind of a few different like routes or lifestyles you can go down. Like decide if you're doing the traveler's route or the digital nomad route because that'll do, that'll kind of shape where you stay and what you do. Um, and then that'll make the experience a lot more fulfilling in that way. So decide on those things. Get like a wise card so you're not paying transaction fees and currency exchange fees on every transaction. Like, um, what else is a good tip? Try and sort out if you're going to be going to multiple different countries, sort out an international SIM instead of buying a one SIM in every place and racking up dollars in that way. Mm. Check the rules of your visa before you go, which I didn't. And I had to pay for my visa like four more times than I would have had to if I had have just checked what the proper rules were about going in and out of the country. Those are the main kind of mistakes I can think of off the top of my head. Mm. Hey, you talk about living a softer life. Mm. Talk about that. So I think once I came back from traveling, I was really overwhelmed emotionally with just so how much I'd done, like how many people I'd met and all of these kinds of things. And I found that there was so much of me that wasn't just accepting, as I mentioned before, the moment as it was. And so when I came back, I really wanted to learn to do that in you know, my life here in New Zealand and just learn to enjoy the simpler moments and not feel like everything needs to be this massive eat, pray, love movie type adventure mm-hmm. because I, like a lot of people, like to romanticize my life, but it's also okay to romanticize the little things and not just feel like everything has to be this huge crazy experience but also learning that less is more in a lot of ways and that I was trying to keep myself extremely busy with doing you know this that and the other but actually I probably wasn't contributing anything positive to my life it was more just stress so being a lot more intentional with what I'm choosing to commit my time to uh, I think has been a really important learning for me to make sure that I'm doing the things that are aligned with the person I want to be in the life I want to live like I was doing when I first left that corporate job or whatever. And yeah, I think just being a lot more intentional. Mm, mm. You talk about building habits in your life and also being healthy. What healthy habits are you doing in your life to achieve your current goals? Uh, And also, you know, healthy habits, but like health in your own life and financial things and habits in your own life. Mm. New habits, I would say, I mean, compared to traveling, finding a routine because I did not have that routine when I was away and that I think contributed a lot to me feeling just all over the place really. And now that I do work remotely full time and I don't have coworkers and that kind of thing, having the routine is so important and planning out socializing and all that kind of stuff really contributes to making sure I'm fulfilling all those areas of my life. but other habits, I suppose, a lot of what the habits are is, like I said, being intentional and coming back to basics. Like What I've learned through the podcast, both from a personal development perspective and a financial perspective, is that there's a lot of fundamentals that stay the same as themes throughout both sides and trying to come back to those basics and think, okay, what's actually important to me to contribute again, to the life I want to live um, and trying to implement those one step at a time and Mm. not racing Mm. to get everything done because usually that's 
what I'm like as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely have lots of money goals and things like that. And I think the most important habit to practice across the habits is consistency. And that's going to be the most important thing to get me to where I want to be. Yeah. I always start and have good habits. And then when I travel, just it all falls yeah. apart. It's just, yeah. I think as humans, we like consistency and habits. I mean, you know, the neuro pathways get developed in one thing. And then if you're in a different situation, no, it's different and all that stuff. Mm, mm, definitely. Yeah, it's weird. And when you were in Bali, did you have some times where, like, I don't know the ins and outs of your personality, but like where you were feeling lonely and that you might pull the pin early and come back home? Yeah, I felt and that on day one. how did you overcome that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And how did I overcome that? Yeah. Well, on day one, I got there, I sat down on my bed and I thought I have made a huge mistake. <laughs> I need to go home. This is horrible. Like, I hadn't even been there for a full day, you know, and I felt so isolated. I think one thing that contributed to that was the fact that I thought I'd treat myself for the first week. And what I didn't realize is that I booked a room at a resort, but it was a couple's resort and I was the only single person there. And so I was just Anyone after out a uh, thropple? <laughs> yeah, literally. I'm like, so hello. Um, <laughs> like at the, you know, the resort restaurant or the pool, it was always like twos. And it was a really awkward situation at the pool because there was, I think, like eight kind of beds where you would... Um, you know, sit in the sun or whatever. And I was on my own. So I would take one and then a couple would come down and there was just one free. And so they would talk amongst themselves and I would think, oh no, I've ruined it for all the couples here. And I just felt so, you know, awkward the whole time. And I think that really, it just made me feel already on the back foot when I got there. And then when I got into the hostels, I felt better because it was a lot more solo travelers. But even then it was like, I felt so shy all of a sudden and nervous and introverted, which isn't naturally a part of my personality at all. Like I get energy from other people and I feel comfortable around other excited people, which was the case because everyone was traveling and it was all amazing and everything. Mm. Um, but yeah, just felt this kind of identity crisis as well, which also made me feel isolated because I thought, who am I? Like, I can't even rely on my own confidence to get me through this conversation with this person. And yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And did you meet some good quality people? Yeah. Amazing people. And even if it was the relationship didn't continue because often, you know, you would meet people and then they would be off on their next adventure mm. to wherever else they're going. And it was always fleeting, but met some amazing people and had some really interesting conversations and like learned things about parts of the world that you would never hear about probably in the media, but you're getting the thoughts of the people who are on the ground in certain places. And mm. yeah, that was really, really interesting to me because I think you hold, of course, a lot of bias and a lot of perceptions when all you have is a reference for fact is the media or mm. whatever. And so then when you go, you're forced to kind of confront a lot of those and acknowledge a lot of those biases and think, is this the reality of how someone is living in a certain place? Um, and so that's something that I found really, really interesting. Yeah. Wow. What's next for... Sarah and the One Up Project. What's next is laying foundations, I think. Laying some foundations in the sense of, you know, I spent pretty much all of my money when I went overseas because I hadn't planned for it. And I thought, 
it'll just work out. This is what I mean when I jump, I say. You are your father's daughter. daughter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I was just like, let's go, let's spend the money, let's do it. And I, again, had that mindset of I don't want to feel guilty. If I'm here, I want to experience it fully and not let things stop me. Um, But yeah, as a result, kind of wiped out a lot of my financial foundations apart from my investment account, luckily is still running strong. So um, yeah, I've come back and I'm like, let's lay those, lay those foundations again and kind of put my head down a little bit and get stuck into things is my mindset for this year and continue to work on the podcast. And my goal with One Up is just to make sure that everything I release I'm proud of and that it's still sticking authentically to the kind of message I'm trying to put out into the world mm-hmm. and yeah, have continue to have really amazing conversations with people and learn more about myself and, and others is kind of what's next. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I yeah wish you all the continued success and you're welcome to um, jump on here and give us an update at any time with your podcast you. and happy to support however I can. Uh, and yeah, everyone go and have a listen to the One Up Project. Give Sarah a follow on Instagram at the One Up Project and yeah, get involved, get encouraged and you'll be in such good hands um, connecting with Sarah and her community. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on My Millennial Money. And before you say goodbye, if there was anything else that you wanted to add, feel free to go for it. Oh, I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity and like being the supportive person you are. It's so appreciated. And I think, yeah, it just means so much to all of us in this space who are trying to facilitate these conversations. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you, everyone. And everyone in New Zealand, what up? See you soon. (laughs) Kia ora. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? 
we wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.